Well, praise the Lord and good evening, everybody. I want to welcome you to our Wednesday evening Bible study via live stream. It's so good to have each and every one of you tune in this evening. We're going to spend some time studying the Word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but this has been a different experience for me teaching uh, via live stream, but I've been getting a lot of great feedback uh, from many of you that have watched, and the feedback has been such an encouragement, such a blessing. And so many people have given reports of how that the presence of God somehow floods through the technology, and we're feeling the presence of God in our homes or other places where we're watching it. And a lot of people are tuning in that uh, are not typically here on a Wednesday night, also feeling the presence of God and being touched by the word of the Lord. And as I've been thinking about how God is blessing this, I truly believe that God is giving us a special grace to have church the way that we're doing it. I know other ministries and groups have focused on internet church a lot over the years and in some cases, people have resorted to internet-based church services as a way of not needing the field obligation to be committed to a local assembly. And that's not what we're doing here, and that's not what we're going to do. Uh, we're looking forward to the time when we all come back together and we can have church. It's God's plan for the church to meet together. It's God's plan for us to assemble. That's the Bible mandate. But right now we're doing this in cooperation with our government and in the interest of public safety and public health. And I just think God's given us a special grace to do what we're doing. But it does mean a whole lot for people to uh, give feedback. And if you were here tonight, uh, likely you would be saying, Amen at appropriate parts or points to the teaching. Or if the uh, Word of God particularly steps on your toes, the old saying goes, we might say, oh me. So since we can't be here in person to say amen, on the comment chat section of Facebook or YouTube, uh, feel free to keep a running commentary going while I'm teaching the Word of God. We can interact with each other, and after this Bible study is over, I can go back over those comments and receive your feedback as well. And it's a way of us creating a virtual community in lieu of our being here in person. So uh, without further ado, we want to get into the Word of God tonight. Now here's the deal. Our lives have been thoroughly disrupted by COVID-19. And over the last couple of weeks, in all of my teaching and preaching, I've been giving some biblical responses and preaching things that I felt from the Lord to help uh, buoy us through this time. But I don't know if you feel as I do, but I'm sick of hearing about it. Every single time I turn the radio on, everything is about the virus. Every time I read the news, and I am an avid follower of the news, everything is about this crazy virus. 
And so please forgive me tonight if you were tuned in expecting a virus-based Bible study. We're not going to do a virus-based Bible study tonight. In fact, I may not mention it for the rest of the evening, but I think it's good for us just to get our minds off that and plunge them into the Word of the Lord. I'm going to be covering some things that I feel like will be very, very practical. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to get them at this time. Uh, I love a physical Bible. There's just something special about it, but if you have your Bible on your iPad or uh, phone, uh, we're going to be going to a couple of portions of Scripture tonight and talking about some things that will be relevant to each one of us. Our first scripture is going to be in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. The book of Proverbs, chapter 4, and verse number 23. The wise man said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then let's read one further verse to get started from the New Testament book of Luke. Luke chapter 6 and verse number uh, 45. These are the words of Jesus here. And he also is telling us something about the importance of the heart. He said, a good man... Out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So what this scripture tells us is whatever comes out of a person is coming out of the heart. What is in the heart comes out in the life. And so I want to talk to us for a little while this evening about the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Now, in living for God, we want to do this right. We have one chance to pass through this life. And at the end of the day, the most important thing for every one of us is to be right with God. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen. As I have pondered uh, Bible prophecy in light of uh, for end time events and, and the current crisis that we're in, a realization washed afresh over me this week that Jesus is coming back real soon and like literally the rapture could happen at any time. And so we want to be right with God. We want to be right with God. And to be right with God, we've got to have our hearts right. What is in the heart and the condition of the heart is what's going to make all the difference in the world when the Lord returns. And it's going to make the difference whether or not we make it in the rapture or we're lost for eternity. So this business of having a right heart is a very, very serious business. And... But beyond just being ready for the rapture, I want to live an abundant life in the Spirit right now. If the Lord comes back 30 days from now, 
I want to have a good 30 days of walking of fruitfulness and blessing. If the Lord's coming is not for another 30 years, I want to live 30 years of an abundant, prosperous Christian life. And so the key to our eternal salvation, as well as our present spiritual well-being, is having a right heart. And when our heart is fully surrendered to the Lord, it's not hard to live for God. But when your heart is not fully surrendered to Him, it's always going to be difficult. And there will be part of you that always chafes at any of God's requirements in the Scripture. So when the heart is right, things just flow as far as Christian living. When the heart is not right, it is very difficult to try to live a life of obedience to the Word of God. So, first of all, let's define what does the Bible mean when it talks about the heart. I think we all understand that the biblical expression heart does not refer to the organ that is pumping blood through our bodies right now. That's not talking about that internal muscle. It's talking about, first of all, the heart refers to the inner man. All of us have an inner person uh, that, is, that is within our body. It's connected to our body, but it's not our body, our, our personality. Uh, the heart is also a reference to a person's mind, to their intellect. The heart can also refer to our will or our drive. So the heart is what mentally and spiritually speaking is what makes us tick. It's that inner person and that is the person that God is concerned with. Uh, he's concerned about our bodies too, but God is most concerned with the state of yours and my inner man. And so the Bible talks a lot about the connection between behavior and the heart. And the scripture lets us know that if we want to have good behavior, we've got to have a right heart. In one place, the psalmist said it this way. He said, give me clean hands and a pure heart. So the hands, scripturally speaking, refer to a person's action. And the psalmist makes a clear connection between the action of the hand or the state of the hand, in this case it was a clean hand, and having a clean heart. If you want your actions to be right, first get your heart right. And so it's important when we understand human behavior, and, and this applies to parenting when you're correcting children and uh, when you're dealing with behavior issues, perhaps with a spouse or with a co-worker, we can spend all of our attention, and typically we do, focusing on the bad behavior. And we say this behavior needs a change. And we all get that because there are some behaviors that do need to change. But if all we do is try to focus wayward behavior, but we cannot touch the condition of the heart, then we'll waste our time. We're just picking the fruit or picking at the fruit 
but the root is still there. The fruit of behavior comes from what is rooted in the heart. But fortunately for us, we understand that in salvation, God changes the heart. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to go back to our first text in Proverbs chapter 4. Let's look at this verse again in greater detail. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 23. The wise man said, keep thy heart with all diligence. But just hold that right there for a moment. That word keep comes from the Hebrew word natsar. And that simply means to watch or to stand guard or to put a blockade. And the word diligence comes from a Hebrew word that speaks about watchman or gatekeeper. And so when the Bible says to keep your heart with all diligence, think of it this way. Your heart is like a home. There are rooms within your home and there is a door to the heart. Where that door is, I personally believe it's through our five senses, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, all of these things can have an impact on the heart. That's what we absorb uh, information from the outside world. So our heart is the room on the inside and that is a very precious room and it's sacred. There's nothing more sacred about you than your heart. And so he says that we have got to stand guard at the doorway of the heart, being very careful about what comes into the heart. We've got to keep our heart with all diligence because here's why. Whatever comes into that room at some point makes an exit from that room in the form of behavior. And so if we allow criminal suggestions, perverse things and perverse conversation and sinful stuff to seep into the gateways of the heart, that stuff gets in the heart, it gets together, it morphs, it mutates, and eventually it comes spewing back out of the heart in the form of behavior that is sinful and is destructive. And so if we want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, we've got to understand the absolute importance of keeping the condition of our heart correct. So here's what I deduce from this one verse. When the Bible says to keep your heart with all diligence, that tells me number one, you and I choose what gets into our heart. We have a choice about what gets on the inside. Number two, it tells me that there are bad things from the external world that are trying to get in. Now, I could spend some time tonight, but I don't have time. I could spend some time talking about the fallen nature of the heart and that our heart creates a bunch of these monsters in and of itself without any help from the external. But I'm focusing here particularly on the stuff that comes from the outside. There are things that are trying to get in, otherwise the Bible would not tell us to stand 
guard at the gate to the heart. And the third thing this tells me is that I've got to go through life with a defensive posture, understanding that if I'm not wary all the time, there could come an unguarded moment when the enemy slips in something into my heart that does not need to be there. So if you and I have been saved, and I'm presuming that most of us that are viewing tonight are saved, your Holy Ghost filled. When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, God gave you a new heart. And we can point back to a time in our life when our heart was right, when we were walking God with, with purity. But you and I both know that if we become lax spiritually, we can probably all see times in our history that we become lax, and, and it's a particular concern of mine as a pastor right now, we're going weeks without being in church. This is not good. Uh, coming together and, and the fellowship of the church and what happens in corporate worship has a big impact on the heart. So right now we're all in a season. If we're not real careful, some stuff will get in our heart right now that would not have gotten there otherwise. So we have to be vigilant, especially in this time when we're not having the spiritual refreshing that happens at church. So we can't just get lax. Otherwise, if we do, all kinds of stuff starts coming in. If the gatekeeper is not on his guard or her guard, the heart is going to deteriorate very quickly. So let's talk about what the Bible says about how to get your heart right. We gotta have a heart that's right. It's hard to keep it right if it doesn't get right to start with. So let's look at a scripture from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11, and verse number 19. This is God speaking through the prophet prophetically about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He said, I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Can you say Holy Ghost? And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. And so here the prophet is saying that before you're saved, sin doesn't bother you very much. Before you were saved, your conscience was in a deadened condition. You did not feel grieved by sin. The things of the spirit did not deeply move you. If you were moved, it was only superficial. But there's something that happens when a person gets the Holy Ghost. When God gives you that new spirit, he puts within you a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. There comes a newfound awareness of, of righteousness and holiness, of right and wrong. But keep in mind, the human heart is also the seat of the human will. The will, that drive, that's the, that's the inner want to. When you get the Holy Ghost, one of the things that God does for you is he gives you a want to. I remember before I received the Holy Ghost, I didn't want to live for God. Uh, fortunately, 
I was raised by godly parents and I was brought to church and we were one of these families where going to church was the, uh, it was our religion, but it was also our pastime. Uh, we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek service, and frequently there would be revival meetings in the community where we lived and the various little country churches around. And it was not uncommon some weeks for us to be in church five and six nights a week. And let me just tell you, before I got the Holy Ghost, I didn't like that. I wished I was raised by sinners. My mom and dad were godly and they had a conviction about not having television in their home. And, and I'm, that's one of the greatest things they could have done for us kids is raise us in a home where there was no television. And if you're watching this tonight on television, you don't need to be. You can get rid of that television and watch through some other venue because television and Hollywood will corrupt the home and it'll destroy the heart. Uh, but anyway, mom and dad raises up without television and we were raised up without many of the worldly accoutrements, but I didn't like that. I can remember when I was uh, uh, around 11 years old, I made up my mind that when I turn 18, I'm leaving home and I'm gonna move into a house and I'm gonna put a television in every single room of that home. I'll even put one in the bathroom and there won't be one thing mom and dad can do about it. Uh, I did wanna to go to church. I envied the people that could just uh, do other things on Sunday. It was a day for fun and recreation. But the most astonishing thing happened to me as a strong-willed, rebellious young man. When God got to convict me at the age 12 and I repented, and a few months later I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues at the age of 13, without anybody saying anything to me about the issue, my want to changed. It used to be I wanted the things of the world. I envied other kids my age that were doing worldly things. But when I got the Holy Ghost, I got a new heart. God gave me the want to. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to be in prayer. And when I was in church, I wanted to worship God. And so when you have a new heart, and when you have a right heart, you want to do what is right. When that inner sacred room is clean and it's filled with the Spirit, it is always accompanied by a, an observable desire for the things of God. But here's what happens. If we get lax spiritually, we go a while without praying through we go a while without being in church, without being stirred up in the spirit, stuff starts getting through the gate of the heart and we lose our want to. And after a while, if we allow that to progress long enough, we find ourselves in a backslidden condition. So let's talk a little bit about some things that are trying to fill our heart. We got to be careful about what comes into our heart. We got to guard our hearts from evil. I think about 
a passage of scripture in the book of Acts chapter 5 where uh, Ananias, you know, remember Ananias and Sapphira, they sold that property for a certain amount of money and they had committed before they did so that they were going to give the money to the church. Now, they weren't required to give all the money from the sale of their property to church. God only requires uh, 10% plus some offering if we make a profit on a sale. But they, for whatever reason, had felt to pledge the proceeds of the entire sale to the church. I personally think they probably made that pledge to try to get some favor and for publicity's sake. But when they come to give the money to the church, they didn't give all of it. They took just a portion of it, but they kept back a portion of the money that they had pledged to give from the sale of that property. And when they come in and Peter's there at the church or wherever he was, uh, there in Jerusalem, Ananias and he's, uh, comes walking in and uh, his, his wife uh, didn't walk in with him. She was a few minutes behind and I'm not sure what she was doing. Uh, probably drove a chariot to get to the church and she was probably out there making sure her hair was arranged just right, you know, go and see the, the Apostle Peter, wanted to look her best. So Ananias comes in, he carried a bag of gold and says, hey, uh, uh, Pastor Peter, I've, I've sold that property and here's the money I pledge. And Peter looks at him and the Holy Ghost revealed to him, this man is lying. The money that he is saying is the full proceeds really isn't the full proceeds. And here's what Peter said. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You see what happened there? Ananias was intending to do what's right. And while we could say, you know, Ananias just had that greedy selfish something kick in from within that's not what happened here this come from without there was literally a demonic voice that whispered probably not audibly but you know what i mean he got that impression from an evil spirit that says don't give everything you've committed satan certainly don't want you to give to further the kingdom of god he doesn't want you to do that because if we hold back in our giving, it stymies the church and it also hinders us from walking in blessings. So Satan is very involved in trying to hinder the flow of money in the kingdom of God. So here Satan comes from the outside and he whispers into Ananias's heart, don't give it, keep back. Had Ananias read our text in Proverbs, he would have known, I've got to be standing as the gatekeeper of the heart and this evil insinuation that's trying to fill my heart with a greedy, selfish motive here, I can't let it in. We have to guard our heart with diligence. So let me give you just a few things here that in my opinion that we all have to really guard our heart from. 
And if we're going to get something in our heart that don't need to be there, it's probably going to come in one of the three areas that I want to mention quickly. The first thing we got to be careful about not letting into our heart is a spirit of offense or being offended. Offense is is an enemy of the heart. Let's look at what Paul said in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15. He said this, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now let me just stop right here and have a teaching moment. There's a lot of people in our world that believe a doctrine called once saved, always saved, otherwise known as uh, eternal security. And the doctrine of once saved, always saved, it's a Calvinistic doctrine and a lot of the denominational world believes it. It's a damnable doctrine. It's heresy. It's false on every level. The Bible does not teach once saved, always saved. And this is one of the texts, the next time you talk to a confused person that holds to this doctrine, take him to Hebrews 12, 15, where it says, we got to watch diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. So there is a possibility that you could fail of the grace of God. And this failure oftentimes because we let something come in called bitterness, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And note what the writer said. He said, and thereby many be defiled. To have a root of bitterness is to get offended at somebody or something. To get offended is where you Say, you know what, I've been disappointed. I've been hurt by God, by people in the church, by a former pastor, by some other authority figure. And because I am hurt, I am going to withdraw from God and from the church. That's being offended. It's being bitter. And when the root of bitterness gets planted in our heart, it will ultimately produce all kinds of sinful fruit. When people get bitter, one of the things that follows bitterness is immorality. I don't have time to delve into this, but the Bible talks about the strange woman that she preys on people who have been wounded. And so a wounded man or a wounded woman is highly likely to fall into the sin of immorality. Bitterness gives birth to hatred. It gives bitterness to resentment, to violence, and burst of anger, and all kinds of sins that the New Testament clearly tells us will put us out of the kingdom of God. If we do those sins, they stem from bitterness. And so we've got to guard our heart from bitterness. And here's where you really need to guard is is when your feelings first get hurt. That is the time when that enemy of bitterness, when the snub first happens, when when the betrayal is first learned of, 
and the tears are there and the wound is fresh and and you're you're left with that little disoriented confused feeling of understanding that you've just been had you've just been hurt or in some cases we just think we were but we perceive something wrong how many times have we gotten bitter over something that didn't really happen the way we thought it happened and to this day we still thought it happened in a way that it didn't truly happen but the point is we get to that point where we're hurt it's not wrong to be hurt it's not sinful to be hurt it's not sinful to be angry in the moment when you feel hurt but bitterness offense is when that hurt and the realization penetrates your conscious mind and you have to make a decision i'm either going to let this go or i'm going to let it come into the meditation of my heart am i and i'm going to entertain this hurt by pondering it and i'm going to stew with thoughts of revenge resentment and hatred and i'm going to withdraw myself from the people that done it and when you go into the point of withdrawal you have become offended and according to the scripture in the old testament a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong armed city so it's a very very dangerous place especially when you get to a point you've been hurt by someone in the church to the point you say i'm going to quit the church the likelihood of us being saved after that happens it's not impossible but according to the scripture it's improbable so it's very important when you get hurt forgive let it go don't harbor offense in your heart now i wish i could tell you for those of you that are members of christian life that our church is mature enough and perfect enough and holy enough and godly enough that you'll never be hurt but guess what that's not so you hang around this church long enough somebody here is going to hurt you and at the risk of being too transparent today as a pastor i love everybody and i don't want to hurt anybody but i'm a human and i'm a fallen human at some point i'll do something to hurt you i will give you an opportunity to get offended as my humanity and my fallenness manifest at some point or another but so it's vital for us to understand as we stand at the gate of our heart to understand that when these situations happen keep in mind that if you've been hurt by human you're a human too and you've hurt people too forgive let it go don't harbor pray for the people that have hurt you make amends let's keep it right salvation is too precious and our mission and our mandate in the kingdom of god is too sacred to let the root of bitterness and the offense get in our heart and corrupt us so the first enemy we've got to keep out of the heart is the enemy of offense the second enemy that i want to talk about is the enemy of worldliness worldliness does a lot of damage to the heart of a christian look at what jesus said in the gospel of luke chapter 21 
in verse number 34. He said, take heed to yourselves. Anytime you're reading the words of Jesus and you come across that phrase, take heed to yourself, in essence, just putting it in my Western Tennessee vernacular, it means sit up, look around, pay attention. Take heed is you're fixing to be in a moment that's not like other moments, it requires vigilance. Take heed to yourselves, why? Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. That word overcharged means burdened down with a load that is too heavy. Think of a donkey. In the old days, it was used for carrying things. They would stack bags of grain and other things on the back of that donkey and pile the saddlebags on. And, and it's not uncommon to see pictures to this day from third world environments where they use the donkeys where they're carrying big loads. But, but if they keep on loading that donkey, there comes a point where they take that one last little handful of something and put it on and that beast that's made for burden will crumble under the weight and he becomes overloaded or overcharged. What's well, like that with your heart? You can handle some things in moderation, but if we allow the things of the world to pile on, there comes a point that we become burdened down to the point that we spiritually collapse. He said, first thing you don't want to be overcharged with from the world is surfeiting. Now the word surfeiting is one that we don't use much in the English language. And I imagine that in the past week in all of our conversation, we have not used the word surfeiting anywhere. And no, surfeiting doesn't, it's not an injunction against going to the beach at Florida and riding the waves. Surfeiting actually talks about a headache that is a result of a drunken hangover. It's the after effect of a hangover or it is the after effect of an excursion into an activity that God is not pleased with. Don't be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. Now we understand that drunkenness, the Bible condemns it. We should not be uh, drinkers of alcohol. I personally think we should not even social drink. Uh, we don't need to have liquor in our home because it opens a gate to so many things that the Bible is very explicitly against. But drunkenness, the principle there applies to a lot more than just drinking Jack Daniels or other forms of alcohol. The principle of drunkenness talks about anything that we use to numb or to stupefy the senses. You can become drunk or drunken with drugs, other medication. You can even become drunk with video games and other forms of entertainment that you use to take the mind away from being able to grasp the things of reality. And that has lingering after effects, the hangover, the headache that follows, which is a surfeiting. But then he talks about the cares of life. All of us have cares of life. It's getting the bills paid. It's making a paycheck. That's all the, the stuff we have to do, the errands. Now, we're in this world, and we all have cares of life. And we have to be very cognizant. We have to take heed to ourselves. 
that life has a way of sucking us up into a world of care. And so now life begins on Monday morning getting into the rat race and we rush all day just doing the stuff we got to do and then Tuesday and Wednesday it's just more of the same. And after a while we look around and we realize that the things of God have been crowded out of our life. Whereas in our heart, we used to have a passion for prayer. In our heart, we would have never missed a Wednesday night when we were really walking with the Lord. But now a lot of Wednesdays, we're too busy for Bible study. A lot of Sundays, we're too tired for the house of God. And the things of God have become less and less of a priority and our priority has shifted to the things of the world, to pleasure, and to entertainment. And anytime we allow the things of the world to take up residence in our heart, worldly things, and let me be clear that sometimes worldly things may not be under the explicit label of sin, and we might deal with them some in moderation and they'd be just fine, but I think we understand that worldliness, what it is, it's that worldly system. It gets in our heart and it pushes out what is righteous, pure, and holy. And after a while, we're in a backslidden condition. We don't need to let that happen, especially right now when we're in this time of not being able to come together in the house of the Lord. And the last thing I want to mention is, is pride. The Bible in Proverbs 21 verse 4 talks about a proud heart. If, uh, if we're not gotten by spirit of offense, we're not gotten by worldliness, we can also be uh, messed up to pride if we allow pride to fill our heart. Every one of us have an ego, and some of our egos are, are, are just disproportionate to the reality of our life. We think a lot more of ourselves than what we should. And let's be careful to not let pride fill our hearts. Pride will make you cold spiritually. Pride makes it very difficult to lift your hands in church. If you're in church and corporate worship and doing this makes you feel all kinds of awkward, it's because you've got pride in your heart and you need to get it out. You know how to get your pride out? Get your hands up in the air. It says, I surrender to God. It says, I'm making myself vulnerable to the Lord. Pride is what makes it hard to bend your knee in prayer. Pride makes it unthinkable to lay on your face and pray. Pride makes it unthinkable for you to look at your spouse or somebody and verbalize the words, I love you. When there's all kind of awkwardness about expressing love and expressing praise to God, it's a symptom that your heart is full of pride. I wish we could just go on a crusade right now to get the pride out of our heart. We need to get it gone in a godly way. We need to lose our dignity and we need to be expressive in our worship. We need to be able to pray out loud. The reason it's difficult to pray out loud is because you're afraid of feeling awkward. It feels awkward. And that feeling awkward is because you're full of pride. Let's call it what it is. And don't you dare turn this live stream off right now. 
I know I'm stepping on some toes right now and we need to hear the word of the Lord and we need to take heed to it. Everybody say amen right where you're at or say oh me. So we want to keep our heart right. We got to keep our heart. I'm talking to you about the heart of the matter. So in closing tonight, I want to give you four very practical tips for keeping a right heart. Number one, to keep your heart, you must set your heart to serve God. Set your heart to serve God. The Bible talks in different places about a heart that is set. You know what that means? That means somewhere in this process, you just got to make up your mind. I'm living for God. Come hell or high water, I'm going to live for God. If my spouse doesn't want to go to church and live for God, frankly, I don't give a rip what they don't want to do. I'm going to live for God anyway. If my kids don't want to live for God, I'm living for God. If people make fun of me at school or work for my convictions, they'll just have to laugh themselves silly because I'm living for God. If COVID-19 keeps me out of church for six weeks and, and, and it's tough and rough, I'm going to live for God. If I get tempted to go back in the drugs, I'm going to say no because I have set my heart to live for God. At some point, you're going to hit a spell in your Christian life where you can't be propped up by other people. There's going to come a day when as a pastor, I can't be there to hold your hand and encourage you and say, now, come on, sister, you can make it. Come on, brother, come on back to church. We can't always do that. God's going to see to it that you're going to have some moments when you got to stand by yourself on your own two feet. And in that moment, if you've got your heart set, you can live for God. Even if you're like the Apostle John that gets stranded on the Isle of Patmos in solitary confinement for uh, who knows how long, he still lived for God. Peter and Paul spent uh, years of their life in jail, but they still live for God. If they can do it, you can too. We've got too many sissies in the world today. Too many spiritual sissies. The least little thing that happens, they're ready to give up and backslide. I feel the anointing right now. I'm just telling you, you got to make up your mind. You've got to set your heart to live for God. Second of all, uh, second most practical tip for keeping your heart right is you must allow the Spirit and the Word to cleanse your heart regularly. Now here's what I've learned about living for God. If I get lax at the gate of my heart, and I've done that many times, and I let something in that I shouldn't, I've done it many times, and so have you, and some bad, ugly stuff gets to stirring around in that sacred room in my inner man. I've learned about the Holy Ghost, that God loves me enough that he is either going to challenge what is in my heart through the Spirit, that's that inner conviction that the Holy Ghost brings to believers, and it'll just get all over your conscience and you'll know something's in your heart that don't need to be there. He'll challenge it. Or God will challenge it through the preached word of God. It's another reason why we need to come to church 
and be at church. And it's better to be at church to watch online because if the preaching gets you too uncomfortable right now, you can just hit that button and stop it. But when you're sitting here on the pew and the preacher's looking you eyeball to eyeball, uh, it, 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 it challenges some stuff that's in the heart. The supernatural dynamic of preaching and teaching and the way God works with anointed in preaching and teaching is, is myself or another minister, when we're teaching the word, we don't have a clue in many cases what's going on. But the word of God finds us where we're at and begins to challenge ongoing, present things that are in the heart. And when that happens, we need to, we need to make it a habit that we quickly break. When the word of God touches something that's on the inside, it needs to evoke a feeling right away that says, oh, yeah, I, I'm guilty of that. God, I'm gonna make it right. When the Spirit of God challenges you after you've just spoke something to someone that was harsh and unkind and you're walking away from that, the Holy Ghost is going to convict you and say, you know what, that wasn't, that wasn't just right. Something's in your heart that don't need to be there. You need to quickly go and apologize and quickly melt. If you ever get at a point where God challenges you, through conviction or through the ministered word of God and you bow up and you say, I ain't gonna let nobody tell me anything. And that's a sure indication that your heart is straying away from God. I don't want my heart to get right with God. My feelings is this, eternity is serious. And I've got one chance at being saved in this life. And I wanna be careful because when the rapture happens, and I don't make that rapture, there's no redo for me. If I go by the way of the grave before the rapture and my heart is not right with God, I don't get a reset button to hit on the judgment day. I've gotta be right, you've gotta be right. And so my feelings is if it takes someone to preach a strong message and challenge some things in me that I've let in my heart, let them preach it. Bring the word of God to me. Don't water it down. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to pet or coddle my pet sins. I want to, I want to be saved. And for my heart to be right, I've got to be challenged by the spirit and by the word. The third thing that I want to mention about keeping the right heart is when possible, you need to make amends with the people with whom you are estranged. Now, I've said when possible. Sometimes it's not possible. But when a heart is not right, one of the, one of the traits of having your vertical relationship with God broken. See, all of us have this vertical relationship. It's us and God. And when this vertical relationship gets broken, the broken vertical relationship always has an impact on horizontal relationships. See, if I let pride in my heart, pride will cause me to be ugly to my wife and family and those around me to hurt relationships. If I let bitterness to come between me and God, that bitterness will break my horizontal relationships. 
If I let worldliness in, worldliness will destroy my relationships. So sometimes we're in this place of we want to be right with God, but we really don't want to get right with people whom we've wronged or we've held feelings to. In many cases, part of getting your heart right with God is being willing to just be humbled enough to go to someone that you've wronged and say, look, I'm sorry, forgive me. Or maybe it's somebody that you've had a long-standing grudge against and maybe the situation is not where you can bring up what happened and there are those kind of situations, then you have to be willing to uh, go and rebuild what you can. Now, in many cases, if you've been the victim of abuse and quite a number of you that are uh, uh, watching this, you've been abused by people, don't go back to your abuser and try to make amends. They were the wrong one that did the abusing. They were wrong. But you do need to let go of any bitterness or lingering unforgiveness or hatred that you hold towards them for the wrong that they perpetrated against you. So you have to release your abusers through forgiveness, even if you never speak to them again. In many cases, I don't recommend speaking to them again, but that's your way of, by forgiving, even though you're not talking to them, you're letting go of that estrangement on a horizontal level, and that has a lot to do with making things right vertically. Jesus said if you come and to pray, and while you're praying, you remember your brother's got odd against you. He said, leave your gift on the altar, go make it right with your brother, then come back and pray. And that was Jesus letting us know horizontal relationships are part of getting the vertical relationship right. And last of all, I want to mention this, and I think this is an appropriate season to talk about it, is we've got to be very careful about the kind of entertainment that we allow into our heart. We've got to guard that. As I've already mentioned, I strongly feel that all Christian people need to keep any form of Hollywood out of their home whatsoever. I don't want to have television in my home. I'm not going to watch movies on my phone or my computer. I'm not going to go to movies. These, because Hollywood is against everything that the Bible's for. Hollywood glorifies sin and it has a, it dilutes anything that's sacred and holy. So entertainment is a danger. But right now, while we're under these shelter at home orders, some of us have a lot more time at home. Our screen time is going way up. And if we're not very careful, we start allowing entertainment to start flowing in that's way out of proportion, and in some cases it, it crosses the boundaries of godliness. Video gaming is another thing that will uh, really mess up your relationship with God. I watch gamers at church, people that have it, they, they're, they're kind of numb when the Holy Ghost is moving. A lot of gaming is one of the most destructive things that you can do for your soul. And if gaming is a problem, if it's addictive, the best thing to do is quit it cold, cold turkey and, and get rid of it.
get violent. Don't, it's not, there is no game, there's no score worth losing your soul over. In fact, if you're doing a lot of gaming, you're probably trying to escape some uncomfortable realities in your life. The better thing to do is turn the game off, get rid of it, and deal with the mess in your life. Get it in order with God, and you won't want to have to escape from your life. But let's be careful about our entertainment in this time, because when we get through this crisis and we all come back together in this church, we're going to have a great, big, glorious, uproaring service, and we want to come here with a right heart. We don't want to let these few weeks of disruption create an open door for things to get in that don't need to be there. We want to be right with God. In closing tonight, let's pray together. Let's all just take a moment, bow your head, lift up your hand right wherever you're at, and let's pray and ask God to help us. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for a wonderful congregation of people that love the word of God, that support strong preaching and teaching. God, I'm asking you to take the principles that we have discussed tonight and let these principles become more than just words on a page or words that's spoken to the ear. But I pray that these words would get down in our heart and challenge us and convict us, God. Lord, and I'm, I'm praying right now, God, if there's anything in my heart that is not right, if there's any feelings, if there's any affections there that don't need to be there. I'm asking you, God, to challenge them by your spirit and by your word. Wash me in your blood. Let me be clean, Lord. And I'm asking you, Lord, to strengthen our church. Let there be a revival of heartfelt righteousness across our entire church. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And I hope and pray that God will Richly bless you. Our next live stream will be Sunday morning worship. Until then, I want to encourage you to come by the church for private prayer. Uh, pray at home if need be. You can uh, indicate that you're doing so on the church app. And thank you for staying connected, staying on board. Let's do the work of God. Let's talk to each other. Let's, let's stay connected. Let's stay right. And let's do it in Jesus' name. God bless you.